Chapter Two of Mystery of a Handsome Cab by Fergus Hume. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Evidence at the Inquest. At the inquest held on the body found in the handsome cab, the following articles taken from the deceased were placed on the table: two pounds ten shillings in gold and silver, the white silk handkerchief which was saturated with chloroform and was found tied across the mouth of the deceased, marked with the letters O W in red silk, a cigarette case of Russian leather half filled with old judge cigarettes. 4. A left-hand white glove of kid, rather soiled, with black seams down the back. Samuel Gorby, of the detective office, was present in order to see if anything might be said by the witnesses likely to point to the cause or to the author of the crime. The first witness called was Malcolm Royston, in whose cab the crime had been committed. He told the same story as had already appeared in the Argus, and the following facts were elicited by the coroner. "'Can you give a description of the gentleman in the light coat, who was holding the deceased when you drove up?' "'I did not observe him very closely, as my attention was taken up by the deceased, and besides the gentleman in the light coat was in the shadow.' "'Describe him from what you saw of him.' "'He was fair, I think, because I could see his moustache, rather tall in an evening dress, with a light coat over it. I could not see his face very plainly, as he wore a soft felt hat, which was pulled down over his eyes.' "'What kind of hat was it he wore? A wide awake?' "'Yes. The brim was turned down, and I could see only his mouth and moustache. "'What did he say when you asked him if he knew the deceased?' "'He said he didn't, that he had just picked him up. "'And afterwards he seemed to recognize him?' "'Yes. When the deceased looked up he said, "'You!' and let him fall to the ground. "'Then he walked away towards Bork Street.' "'Did he look back?' "'Not that I saw.' "'How long were you looking after him?' "'About a minute.' "'And when did you see him again? "'After I put the deceased into the cab, "'I turned round and found him at my elbow. "'And what did he say? "'I said, "'Oh, you've come back.' "'And he said, "'Yes, I've changed my mind and will see him home.' "'And then he got into the cab "'and told me to drive to St. Kilda. "'He spoke then as if he knew the deceased? "'Yes, I thought that he recognized him "'only when he looked up, "'and perhaps having had a row with him walked away, "'but thought he'd come back. "'Did you see him coming back?' "'No, the first I saw of him was at my elbow when I turned. "'And when did he get out? "'Just as I was turning down by the grammar school on the St. Kilda Road.' "'Did you hear any signs of fighting or struggling in the cab during the drive?' "'No. The road was rather rough, "'and the noise of the wheels going over the stones would have prevented my hearing anything.' "'When the gentleman in the light coat got out, did he appear disturbed?' "'No, he was perfectly calm.' "'How could you tell that?' "'Because the moon had risen, and I could see plainly.' "'Did you see his face, then?' "'No, his hat was pulled down over it. "'I only saw as much as I did when he entered the cab in Collins Street.' "'Were his clothes torn or disarrayed in any way?' "'No, the only difference I remarked in him was that his coat was buttoned.' "'And was it open when he got in?' "'No, but it was when he was holding up the deceased.' "'Then he buttoned it before he came back and got into the cab?' "'Yes, I suppose so.' "'What did he say when he got out of the cab in the St. Kilda Road?' He said that the deceased would not let him take him home, and that he would walk back to Melbourne. And you asked him where you were to drive the deceased to? Yes, and he said that the deceased lived either in Gray Street or Ackland Street, St. Kilda, but that the deceased would direct me at the junction. Did you not think that the deceased was too drunk to direct you? Yes, I did, but his friend said that the sleep and the shaking of the cab would sober him a bit by the time I got to the junction. The gentleman in the light coat apparently did not know where the deceased lived. 
No, he said it was either in Ackland Street or Gray Street. Did you not think that curious? No, I thought he might be a club friend of the deceased. For how long did the man in the light coat talk to you? About five minutes. And during that time you heard no noise in the cab? No, I thought the deceased had gone to sleep. And after the man in the light coat said good night to the deceased, what happened? He lit a cigarette, gave me half a sovereign, and walked off towards Melbourne. Did you observe if the gentleman in the light coat had his handkerchief with him? Oh, yes, because he dusted his boots with it. The road was very dusty. Did you notice any striking peculiarity about him? Well, no, except that he wore a diamond ring. What was there peculiar about that? He wore it on the forefinger of the right hand, and I never saw it that way before. When did you notice this? When he was lighting his cigarette. How often did you call to the deceased when you got to the junction? Three or four times. I then got down and found he was quite dead. How was he lying? He was doubled up in the far corner of the cab, very much in the same position as I left him when I put him in. His head was hanging on one side, and there was a handkerchief across his mouth. When I touched him he fell into the other corner of the cab, and then I found that he was dead. I immediately drove to the St. Kilda police station and told the police. At the conclusion of Royston's evidence, during which Gorby had been continually taking notes, Robert Chinston was called. He deposed, I am a duly qualified medical practitioner, residing in Collins Street East. I made a post-mortem examination of the body of the deceased on Friday. That was within a few hours of his death? Yes, judging from the position of the handkerchief and the presence of chloroform, that the deceased had died from the effects of anesthesia, and knowing how rapidly the poison evaporates, I made the examination at once. Go on, sir. Dr. Chinston. Externally, the body was healthy-looking and well-nourished. There were no marks of violence. The staining apparent at the back of the legs and trunk was due to post-mortem congestion. Internally, the brain was hyperanemic, and there was a considerable amount of congestion, especially apparent in the superficial vessels. There was no brain disease. The lungs were healthy, but slightly congested. On opening the thorax there was a faint, spiritous odor discernible. The stomach contained about a pint of completely digested food. The heart was flaccid. The right heart contained a considerable quantity of dark, fluid blood. There was a tendency to fatty degeneration of that organ. I am of the opinion that the deceased died from the inhalation of some such vapor as chloroform or methylene. You say there was a tendency to fatty degeneration of the heart? Would that have anything to do with the death of the deceased? Not of itself. But chloroform administered while the heart was in such a state would have a decided tendency to accelerate the fatal result. At the same time, I may mention that the post-mortem signs of poisoning by chloroform are most negative. Dr. Chinston was then permitted to retire, and Clement Rankin, another handsome cabman, was called. He deposed, I'm a cabman, living in Collingwood, and usually drive a handsome cab. I remember Thursday last. I had driven a party down to St. Kilda, and was returning about half-past one o'clock. A short distance past the grammar school I was hailed by a gentleman in a light coat. He was smoking a cigarette, and told me to drive him to Powlett Street, East Melbourne. I did so, and he got out at the corner of Wellington Parade and Powlett Street. He paid me half a sovereign for my fare, and then walked up Powlett Street, while I drove back to town. What time was it when you stopped at Powlett Street? Two o'clock, exactly. How do you know? because it was still night, and I heard the post-office clock strike two o'clock. Did you notice anything peculiar about the man in the light coat? No. 
He looked just the same as anyone else. I thought he was some swell of the town out for a lark. His hat was pulled down over his eyes, and I could not see his face. Did you notice if he wore a ring? Yes, I did. When he was handing me the half-sovereign, I saw he had a diamond ring on the forefinger of his right hand. He did not say why he was on the St. Kilda Road at such an hour? No, he did not. Clement Rankin was then ordered to stand down, and the coroner then summed up in an address of a half an hour's duration. There was, he pointed out, no doubt that the death of the deceased had resulted not from natural causes, but from the effects of poisoning. Only slight evidence had been obtained up to the present time regarding the circumstances of the case, but the only person who could be accused of committing the crime was the unknown man who entered the cab with the deceased on Friday morning at the corner of the Scotch Church, near the Burke and Wills Monument. It had been proved that the deceased, when he entered the cab, was to all appearances in good health, though in a state of intoxication, and the fact that he was found by the cabman, Royston, after the man in the light coat had left the cab, with a handkerchief, saturated with chloroform, tied over his mouth, would seem to show that he had died through the inhalation of chloroform, which had been deliberately administered. All the obtainable evidence in the case was circumstantial, but nevertheless showed conclusively that a crime had been committed. Therefore, as the circumstances of the case pointed to one conclusion, the jury could not do otherwise than frame a verdict in accordance with that conclusion. The jury retired at four o'clock, and after an absence of a quarter of an hour returned with the following verdict that the deceased, whose name there is no evidence to determine, died on the 27th of July from the effects of poison, namely chloroform, feloniously administered by some person unknown, and the jury on their oath say that the said unknown person feloniously, willfully, and maliciously did murder the said deceased. End of chapter 2. Read by Sibella Denton. For more free audio books or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.